Hi there, this is Matt Wakeling and you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Today I am joined by a virtuosic Stratmaster, and I don't use that term lightly, Mr. Philip Sace, Canadian-born guitarist and just a fantastic player. His new album, Spirit Rising, is unbelievably good. Fiery, melodic, sweet, rockin', all the good stuff. So we had a great conversation. In fact, we just started talking, so we got to the intros a little later, but for now you'll know it's Philip Sace. Huge thanks to Steve Waxman for setting up this interview and also for introducing me to Sean Vareau of Widemouth Mason, who was also recently on the show. This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the Music Gear Marketplace Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The Pedal Movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Mascus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player. Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, real pleasure to connect today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Hey, you know, I, I was checking out the uh, the podcast. Congratulations on such an interesting and very cool podcast. And um, uh, just just heard a little bit of the Nathan Cavallari, uh, a little bit of Nathan Cavallari one. And you know, um, I remember hearing about him a long a long time back. And um, um, so always he's always been a great player. It was really cool that that, uh, that you're interviewing him. I saw also like Sean Vero on there, like a lot of. A, a, a real like cornucopia of, of different musicians on there. It's very, very interesting. Oh, cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's good fun. It's, you know, I get to pursue and talk to folks I'm really interested in. So it, it does get kind of kind of broad. Now, how do you know Nathan? I, I noticed you've got a Jimmy Barnes connection. You've got a album credit from about 15 years ago. Um, and Nathan yeah. was, was sort of in there with the Barnes family and doing some stuff, but I'm not sure if he was then. How, how do you know him? So we don't really, I don't really know him. I just know of his music and okay. his name. And I remember, you know, uh, hearing about him coming up and, um, you know, uh, of course I just remembered his name and I remembered seeing a clip of him playing and I just always, always remembered him. You know, I just thought, man, he's cool. And, um, certainly I see him sometimes from time to time, um, pop up on, on social media and things like that. But, uh, it was, it was interesting. I think it was through your platform that I was able to kind of like learn a little bit more about his journey, some of his health. Um, and so I might need to jump back in there and, uh, and learn a little more of a fascinating, uh, talented guy. Yeah. Amazing guy. Very resilient and, um, yeah, great musician. Great musician. Oh yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And the Jimmy Barnes thing that just came through, um, through, a, um, I was recording with someone and they said, Hey, we're doing this, uh, we're doing a, a piece of my heart, the Janis Joplin, yeah. you know, oh, song. And, and yeah. we had just recorded it with, uh, Melissa Etheridge. And so um, Kenny Arnoff, who is the the great Kenny Arnoff, the drummer, yeah, wow. um, he's like, oh man, yeah, let, let me get, let me bring in. So Kenny brought me in on the session, and that was how that all came about. That was fun. So good, so good. That's awesome. Great. Well, I feel fun. like we've already started. Usually I say hello, but um, we've we've started a great conversation, <laughs> so we might just keep going, Philip. If that's yeah, totally. Congratulations on Spirit Rising. If I'm counting correctly, that's your tenth solo album. Um, I don't, are we, do we get that many? I don't know. Maybe, uh, I don't know if I've counted for a little bit. Let's see. Maybe one, 
I think it's a little less than that, but okay. I would love to be able to get to 10 one day. That would be cool. Maybe you're right, though. You don't have to go back and count. There's like a Peace Machine one, a couple of like Silver Wheel Stars in a row, maybe between 5 and 10. Somewhere yeah, okay, because there. there's some EPs and some live things in that. Some EP live thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, but there, there's a few things out there. Thanks for checking them out. Yeah, oh, definitely. Man, the album is brilliant. It just struck me as such a good mix of classic tones and classic some blues rock and roots stuff on there but still sounding very contemporary and fresh well well thank you that's awesome um you know i think that was really the intention was to um was to certainly bring some of uh some of what's what was happening in let's say 2020 or 19 when when the majority of the record was put together but um yeah it was really about finding the balance between maintaining the authenticity which for me is the number one ingredient um, if it's, if it's about kind of like someone saying, Hey man, you need to dress up in that chicken costume and cluck around for a while. I'm not your guy. I'm just not, you know, um, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, you there's, it's, uh, for me, this is, this is all about the love and, and the message of the music and continuing the message that I have felt in the people that turned me onto music throughout all kinds of different genres. But it's really about, I think, trying to get in touch with what's authentic, what is important to me, um, and express that through the music. And so that was really the that's really the main intention, certainly with Spirit Rising. And um, you know, certainly the I mean, unexpected at the time when the record was coming together. But my my father passed away um, in a really just a really uh, devastating uh, way, and it devastated me, my family. Um, uh, it was it was awful, I'm and so, so I think that some of thank you, and you know, and I think some of that, um, I think a lot of that is also uh, in the in the album, in the okay. recordings, in yeah. the songs, in the in the tissues of the of the of that of the of the release of the record. Yeah, yeah, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. What's so? What's the process of writing the record? Um, I mix those circumstances and just everything else going on in your life yeah so in in terms of like spirit rising in particular um a lot of the material had been written um you know prior to when uh you know my dad suddenly passed and so it had been sort of in development at that point and i think you know working on um working on um sort of developing the songs and i think you know trying them in different ways and oh let's try this and that and you know, just just like anything, I think working with a, a group of people to um, just try to bring out the best in the music and and ultimately where it led me to was uh, just to, to really listen to what was in my heart again. Because mm -hmm. sometimes when you have too many cooks, it's going to spoil the stew, you know? Yeah, so yeah. you got to kind of, I think I'm, I'm all for um, collaboration and supportive feedback. Um, I'm not, again, the same way that I say I'm not really the kind of person that will okay, sure, I'll dress up like a chicken and cluck around. What else do you need? You know, I, I, it, it's got to be connected to something um, to me in, in a way that's really important. In the same way that if someone's going to come in and say, hey, listen, you should change your song so it sounds like this. Well, what do you know about me? What do you know about my life? Do you, have you taken time to think about um, why the song is being presented in this way? Have you thought about why the lyrics are this way? Um, and have you thought about, you know, and I think, um, for me, that's really the most important thing. There seems to be a real rush at this time that I'm noticing um, a real like effort to try to get to a real place of margarine. And by that margarine, I sort of mean like a sameness, a safeness. Where is the edge? Where is the fire? Where is the thing that's like, well, that's not right. You know, how can we keep that there? Perfect. Keep it there. You know, I think there's got to be some danger involved in it as well. And so anyway, long way around of saying that uh, ultimately I really found myself through the, through the making of the record and through the, through the trauma and the, the heartbreak and the loss and, and the discovery through it. Awesome, man. The album opens, it's the best opener maybe ever, the, the track warning shot, which is like 50 <laughs> seconds of <laughs> crazy fuzz, lots of feedback, some wah, and, and then that oscillating delay at the end going nuts. That's, that's the best opener, fantastic. Oh, you're so kind. That was a lot of fun. You know, that was like, you know, we just pressed record in the studio and, and you know, I had this kind of intention of somewhere like, uh, you know, at the top of Axis Bold is Love, right? You know, there's like 
you know, Hendrix does this beautiful intro of yeah. feedback and, you know, EXP and then it ups, up from the skies. And so it's certainly influenced from that, maybe influenced a little bit from things like um, maybe a little Van Halen influence, but also certainly a Jeff Healy influence and, and um, a lot of my heroes. It, so I think kind of trying to get this, this moment, something I needed to get off my chest. And that's why it was called warning shot because uh -huh. there's been a, there's been a lot of shenanigans. This is a very, very uh, unscrupulous business. And, um, you know, and we, anybody who's been in it knows that it's tough. It's been really hard for a really long time meeting with a lot of really hollow people. And so there's some good ones in there too, though. Don't get me wrong. There are some really good ones. Um, but I think, you know, um, it's, it, it's not easy. It's a jungle out there. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the recording of the album. It, it sounds it sounds very alive, sounds very live, um, but there's some, some ear candy, some, there's a few overdubs and things going on as well. What's, what's the process for the record in, in that regard? Yeah, thanks, thanks for asking, Matt. You know, um, a lot of it was recorded live and it was, um, a lot of it was quite spontaneous in the studio in terms of was that the take or not the take. Um, a friend of mine named Michael Leisure, um, who lives here in Los Angeles, we've been friends for a long time, uh, he came in the studio. We have just so so much fun together where um, and we don't even have to really talk. We can just start grooving and kind of, you know, there's a good chemistry and he's a good friend and a great player. And um, he also plays with, he plays for Walter Trout. That's his like main, okay. um, his main gig. And he's been with Walter for over a decade. And um, Walter's amazing, of course. So um, Mike, when we can, we get together. And so, yeah, we went in the studio and he played on a, on a few things. Um, also, a few other friends played on some different songs as well, but uh, for the majority of stuff was kind of laid out live, and then you know whatever overdubs we needed to do, that's that's what would, that's what would happen from there. Certain songs though would be a little bit more of a production. Um, you know, there's a song called "Black Roller Coming" that was certainly a different way of putting a song together than you know than I usually do. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot more sort of compartmentalized and like this is a piece, this is a piece, this is a piece, and kind of more of a modern music production, yeah, sure. uh, which was a lot of fun too. Um, you know, one's not necessarily better than the other. I think it's just what, what feels like it fits, you know, for me. Yeah. So. That track actually stood out because um, I'm hearing two guitars and they're very tight on the riffs left and right. And then it just yeah. gets a little bit looser on the chords. So that it sounds, this whole thing opens up. So I, I love that. Cool. Well, thank, well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of little intentional things in there. Yeah, thanks. Hey, the track Once uh, is a nod to the, the Hendrix Curtis Mayfield style of, of rhythm playing and accompaniment. Loved it. Um, Thank when, you. When did you first hear that style of playing? Was it through Hendrix or somewhere else? What was the thing? I would say that it's through, certainly through, um, likely through the Hendrix family tree. So if it if it was Hendrix or if it was Stevie Ray Vaughan first, um or maybe a number of other players, uh, but likely maybe even Stevie Ray Vaughan, who I really first started hearing some of that uh, just truly beautiful type of playing. You know, it's like, and, and it's in the hands of, you know, someone like a Hen Hendrix or a Stevie Ray, that type of playing, or Curtis Mayfield, as you, as you, as you mentioned, um, you know, that's the stuff that, that will bring you to tears if you're not ready. You know, <laughs> that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. What yes. was that? And, yes. you know, so, so it's certainly through that, through the Hendrix, uh, lineage through the family of, of the hen, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great way to put it. Actually, the family tree. Well, well, he's kind of the he's he's the tree, right? And we, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. we all kind of yeah. in this area come out from that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's, uh, I can hear some xylophone or tune percussion in that tune too. Is that a, a little wing nod? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was uh, we had a, glo a Glock in the studio, so um, yeah. we thought, well, that was beautiful on Little Wing. Let's let's have a little touch. Yeah. Um, you know, thank you to Jimmy, and the song is certainly dedicated my to my dad. Um, and so, you know, it just kind of felt like, in the spirit of Little Wing, in the spirit of songs like Angel, in the spirit of yeah, just just kind of go for it. Yeah, nice, nice. Beautiful fade out solo as well. That, that could have gone for another 20 minutes for me, but uh, you, you faded I think it tastefully. It, it did in the studio. It went on and on and on. It was kind of <laughs> like, oh man, you know, the, 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 the idea to kind of shorten it there though was, um, it just felt right. It just felt yeah, you sure. know, like in the same way that I really wish that, I wish my dad was here longer, you know? And uh, so we just kind of like 
clipped it short, you know. Uh, there was another song that's really short called 555, which is certainly dedicated to my dad and some other family members. And uh, it just made sense to have it be short, you know, like my dad's life ended early as far as I'm concerned. And so just kind of felt like, okay, well, I don't know if I want, maybe in the live version, it'll go on and on. But yeah. in, the, uh, in the studio version, it was just kind of like, you know, let's just have a little, it's like a prayer. Let's just have that. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's a beautiful closer to the record, 555. And again, um, yeah, not far from that, that, that chord melody kind of, kind of stuff um yeah beautiful beautiful tone as well on the end of the record thanks man thank you thank it's a, you it's a nice journey uh, you, you've got the warning shot going nuts at the front and then there's this beautiful moment to to close out the record it's the pacing's obviously very important well yeah they, you know they kind of ended up becoming bookends you know they it wasn't like a four minute song they're sort of like a minute minute and a half and sort of like moments at the front and to sort of bring you in and to to close it out so yeah, kind of bookends. Yeah, cool, cool. I mean, in the day of um, social media and small clips of this and that, it's nice to have a whole record that that has a a, a clear journey and a and a, a path. It's yeah, it's definitely a different. I mean, the you know, listening is is so. Um, it's almost like tapas, right? It's like just little bits, yeah, just little yeah, things yeah. here and there, you know, as opposed to like sitting down for one grand meal, you know, like a, like listening to a grand full release record. I think our attention span is way gone. So like way, way, way out the window. So I think it's like, well, I can listen to 60 seconds of something. Cool. What else is here? What else? Is, you know, yeah, we're yeah, just yeah. like, so yeah, I don't know. Are we going to, are people going to continue making full records as we go ahead? We'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, the um, the tones are larger than life, which is no surprise for anyone who's followed uh, your career. Are, are you recording loud? How how does it? How do you make a strat sound so good? Oh man, that's that's awesome. Thank you for for asking about it. You know, um, it's it's a it's a tricky thing. I mean, I think that the tone is something that um, is certainly very personal to each and every musician and. Um, it's like a, your own fingerprint, right? So it's it just sounds like whoever is playing it. And I think, you know, for me, I'm just always trying to play whatever I'm feeling. And um, and so sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes loud is good, you know, not too, not like, you know, evil loud, but sometimes things need to be loud in order to kind of like make it happen. People have no problem when they go to a club and it's all bass, all like full, that's the loudest you've ever heard uh -huh. but you go to a um, you go to like a different kind of concert people are like oh, it's so loud you know it's like oh come on like really it's selective it's selective for people uh -huh. but um but i really think sometimes you got to turn it up to get that point across and to um and sometimes for me just to get something out it's got to be loud other times you know we'll play real quiet like turn the volume almost or completely off on the instrument and just like there's no sound so i really do enjoy um a lot of you know a lot of sort of uh highs and lows i guess really but um ultimately in the studio yeah i, I would say you know it's loud but it's not like a, a wall of marshall's loud or anything like that i'm using a super reverb um i was using a caesar diaz amplifier um i used some amplifiers that a gentleman named tommy cougar makes um some customized amplifiers that that i've worked with him on um he's based out of sweden um, outside of Stockholm. And so, you know, it was a, a whole kind of a, a plethora of, of amps, big and small. And sometimes it just turns out that the little amps uh -huh. sound huge on, on recordings. You know, you come in with the Marshall major and you got three people helping you load it in and <laughs> you record and it's like, eh, you know, and you plug in the little champ in the corner and it's, you can barely hear it. And it, in the recording, it sounds, you know, it sounds amazing. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, Certainly different types of, um, I would say, a, a different approaches in different circumstances. But for the most part, I like it loud. Yeah, nice. <laughs> There's, um, oh, I've got a track here. Where is it? One Foot in the Grave. The, the solo on that tune is particularly ferocious. It, it just, oh, man. It sounds like you, you just wound up and then sprung out of the box on, the, on that one. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, you know, anytime you have the uh, <laughs> anyone who's crazy enough to co try try to cover a Jeff Healy song, yeah. 
I think I think you got to go. You got to start. You better bring it. So, um, you know, it was definitely one that I was thinking about Jeff the whole time and and playing for him. It was for him. So, you know, yeah. Awesome. I, d- I definitely want to get onto uh, your connection with Jeff Healy shortly, which which is amazing, um, especially when at, at a young age for you as well, li- relatively. Um, but if we can keep on the record, just for a couple more questions, I think. Um, you're you're a huge reverb fan. You're you're into that big splashy Fender reverb from from the amp by the sounds of it on some stuff. How do you keep the definition in in the guitar when you when you're cranking the reverb as you do on not on everything obviously, but on, on some stuff. Yeah. See, so, you know the influence for adding some reverb uh, to my tone comes directly from Albert Collins. Okay. And when. Um, I got to see Albert Collins right before he passed in the, in the early nineties. Uh, my mom took me to see him at the El Macombo in Toronto okay. in the nineties. And um, I was underage to get in. And I remember I was so nervous. I wore this, like, I wore a really long trench coat and I, I wasn't think I was shaving yet, you know, so I was like <laughs> really young and it was like, oh, I hope I can get in. And it was night, you know, and my mom was there and I walked in and they knew I was underage. So they, they actually were cool and they put an X on my hand being like, this guy can't drink, but okay. And we sat right in front of Albert Collins wow. at the front of the stage. And it was like, okay, you know, what's going to happen here? I mean, I knew Albert was the man, right? But then he came out and killed everybody. Like it was crazy. It was the craziest shit I've ever seen. And um, the sound that he had going through the quad reverb, um, the power and the way that he used the reverb to me was, is still like one of the best sounding things I've ever heard. I was, I was, I was hung on every note. I was completely was blown to pieces by this performance, by the power, the supernatural power mm-hmm. that he had. Um, and I've told, told other friends about this story, but the Black Crows were playing in town that night in Toronto. And I, I like the Black Crows. Um, you know, I, they were playing the kind of music that I dig and a great band, you know, but they came in to watch Albert Collins after I guess they had a gig in town and they came in with like an entourage or a bunch of people around them and big hats and like, you know, a lot of, a lot, Oh, black crows are here. I didn't care. I was watching Albert Collins in front of me and it seemed like it was Halloween. Like it didn't, it, no offense. I love the black, again, I dig the music, but we were, we were in church. We were watching Albert Collins play and everybody in there was a baby child in his presence. It was, was hilarious. And suddenly I looked at, you know, everybody dressed up like they were cool. And it just seemed like, oh man, this, we are nowhere near Halloween. This is, you know, let's take it down a notch because we are in the presence of one of the greatest. And so again, speaking about this tone and this sound and just having that experience and hearing how he used the reverb, um, never got in the way to me it never got in the way of any of that sound so my influence for using the the reverb is is in that similar way to create some space but it's not like in an 80s way it's a lot more funky than that it's more of a 60s type approach to the reverb where it's yeah yeah a little bit kind of jagged a little bit is it supposed to be like that yeah yeah it is uh-huh. and if you feel like it's not supposed to be like that then i'm going to add some more <laughs> can't have the shit be slick I'm, you can't. I mean, if it's coming from inside and you you're going going through something, I I don't know, man. I think it, it's for me. It's just gotta it's gotta come out like that. And and I think Albert Collins being really the one of the most, if not the most, um, I don't know, just the connection that he seemed to have to the universe when he was playing. It's like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> That's where I want to go. You know, that please, like, this is yeah. So. That's a long way of explaining reverb, but I think as as part of the tone, you know, I think keeping it in there so that it can that it can get kind of crazy, get a little yeah, wacky yeah. sometimes. I mean, Dick Dale being the king of, of surf yes. guitar and reverb, it's not in that kind of area, but yeah. but a little bit is a little bit is kind of fun. Yeah, I, I dig it. I dig it. I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear Mark Place Reverb. Now, you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we're super excited on the release of this film. 
The pedal movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix, through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s, and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Vudu. For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now, I was a beta tester for the course, and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garsett and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program, so check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. Let's talk um, guitars. So you're known for uh, vintage strats, and one in particular that you call Mother. Um, I'm assuming those couple of guitars at least made a, a big appearance on the record. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thanks for asking about those, Matt. Um, uh, Mother is a 1963 Fender Stratocaster, and I've had her... For, for a long time, about 20 years. And um, I, when I was first, when I first started with Jeff was, I was, I guess it was around like 19. And so I saved up from our touring, 19 or 20, and I saved up from touring. Um, and so I was able to, to, to purchase the guitar. And I ended up getting it through a friend of mine. It came from um, Western Canada, came from Vancouver Island. And I, I still remember it to this day. I was, you know, sitting at the front window waiting for FedEx or UPS to show up. And I remember, you know, it sort of pulled up in slow motion. There's the truck, <laughs> the guy coming out with my guitar in slow motion in the road case. I, I remember it all. Like it was yesterday, you know, and I brought it and I, and I was still living at home at the time. Right. And so I popped it open and there it was. Oh, and I've had her I've had her ever since. She's just been uh, been by my side uh, the whole way through. And I'm very, very thankful about 10 years ago, I I had the opportunity to purchase um, another 1963 Stratocaster, which I had a very um, long-term special connection with, and it came back around. And so these are my two main main Stratocasters. Uh huh. And are they stock? Do you do you mod them in any way? How do they how do they put up with the abuse and the love that <laughs> gets dished out to them? Both are true. Both are true for sure. Um, you know that. I think being made at the time, you know, when they were made and, you know, that sort of golden era for Fender, um, you know, the instruments, they wear differently than new ones. They, they're real tough. I don't know. I don't know if it's just the way they were made, if it's old wood, because the wood they were using in the sixties wouldn't have been wet green, you know, greenish wood, right. It would have been wet wood. Like I think we're, a lot of what's happening now, just like, it's more about numbers. Let's get them out, get them out. Right. Sure. Whereas I think some of that wood may have been very old and very dry. So, I mean, there's all kinds of theories as to, to why, but um, I mean, I also have a sixties Gibson uh, SG that um, I've owned as long as any guitar. And, um, and I love it very much. They're all stock. Um, I mean, in terms of, you know, the electronics that keep them stock. I mean, I've had a lot of refrets on them. It just, yeah. it happens over time. I like to put, I like to put some bigger frets on there just to um, majority of my playing is around a lot of string bending and stuff. So I, I like to set it up in a way where um, to help facilitate that in some way, you know, we don't want to make it any harder than it already is. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, sure. So, so things like that, but it's very important for me to have the pickups original, the wood, you know, um, original to the guitar, um, things like that. I, I try to keep the, the basics of it original pots go sometimes a pot goes, pickup might go so then you got to source out another vintage pickup okay. but uh, for the most part i keep them keep them og nice nice one thing with the, the hendrix family tree uh if i can go back to that analogy is that yeah. i mean yeah strat absolutely um stevie ray vaughan as we all know was a tube screamer guy um yeah which you are sometimes and then hendrix was the fuzz guy which you are sometimes i yeah. love how you've amalgamated some of those ideas in, in your tones um when when i first heard your name mentioned someone said you got to hear this guy philip says he sounds exactly like stevie ray vaughan 
And I went, okay, well, I love Stevie Ray Vaughan. So I check you out. I think, well, yeah, I can hear Stevie Ray Vaughan, but I can hear Albert, Albert Collins, Albert King. Um, and I can hear Jimi wow. Hendrix and I, it's just, it's a, it's a new voice for me. Um, so I guess I'm going a long way around saying, uh, that mix of, can you tell me about that mix of fuzz versus tube screamer? You just bring these different tonal influences in. Where does that all come from? And coming out like sounding like you at the end. Well, first of all, I got to say that if the music makes anyone think of any of the artists that you just mentioned, that's like the compliment you could ever dream of, right? Like, if, if, if I can play something that reminded somebody of, like, wow, so thank you. And, you know, we want to also take what we're learning from, um, from the people that inspire us. I'm going to speak for myself. I'm, you know, take the music that has inspired me from the first time I heard it through my whole life has been a soundtrack to my life and try to find a place where you get to the intersection of, okay, well, I have my own life experiences. I have my own vision. I have my own other influences that I'm going to bring in and kind of, you know, make this whole thing, make it its own thing, make it a gumbo. And if it reminds, if someone's like, yeah, I think I hear some Stevie in that, I'm like, oh, or some Jimmy, that's the most beautiful thing. Because it's not about trying to recreate that. It's not going to happen, right? There was only one of these artists. And so to learn about that and to continue the, for me, the intention is about continuing the the fire in the music, continuing the, the, the passion, continuing the intention. And then, you know, finding my, like what, what I'm passionate about and, and in using that through that lens, right. To express what's important to me through this, you know, through this music. And so um, in terms of fuzz and so um, certainly Hendrix, I, I don't think anyone would argue is the king of fuzz. I mean, really, he's, he kind of wrote the book as far as I'm concerned for electric, that kind of electric blown up fuzz tone. And, um, and we're all still learning like in 2021, People are still like, oh, Jimmy, like he turned the volume down to get that tone. Like, yes. Wow. Like, yes. seriously, like generations and generations of gen- are, are learning. Wow. This guy in 1966 or seven was doing this, you know, before anyone else, like he just created it. And, you know, when we, when we listen to some Stevie Ray Vaughan bootlegs from later in his career, um, you know, he had incorporated fuzz into his tone okay, wow. and mass and had mastered it in a way where a lot of people didn't even really know because it's just like, it was seamless for him. Um, I, I had the opportunity to spend time with Cesar Diaz, who was, um, as far as I'm concerned, um, one of the greatest uh, amplifier tone technicians of all time, right alongside Alexander Dumble. Um, and, um, you know, he lived not that far from Toronto when I was growing up and I, was playing with Jeff Healy at the time and I needed something to try to keep up with Jeff on stage. Cause I mean, he was just, again, speaking of that supernatural power yeah. when Jeff played, it was like, Oh my goodness, what is happening? Like, it was crazy. It just, people got <laughs> dizzy. You know, you started where I'm seeing spots. I don't know what's happening. So, and every amp I had, you know, I'd have these boutique amps and I'd bring them out on stage and the band would go and you couldn't hear them. Mm-hmm. I, where did it go? It just disappeared. It sounded beautiful on its own. But when it came time to like, you got to throw some fire next to Jeff, like you need to make sure you've got something. So um, I ended up going through a lot of amps, but anyway, called Cesar Diaz and he's like, I can help you. And he, he helped me a lot. I learned so much spending time with him about tone. Um, You know, he shared stories about Stevie Ray Vaughan and certainly, I mean, he worked with everyone from, yeah. Clapton to Neil Young to, you know, I mean, it's the, his, his clientele was was insane and he was really nice to me. Um, So I have a number of pedals that, um, that he made for me. And again, amplifiers that he had worked on and, and I learned about fuzz directly from him. He told me how Stevie was doing it, how they, you know, how they had built these pedals together. Um, And he built a couple specific ones for me, listened to how I was playing. He took time and he kind of meant, I guess he mentored me in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, that was a special experience to really learn about how to really get into your tone. And I think also, yeah, like playing with Jeff, like when he would just, when he would play, it was no joke. Like you got to have your shit together or it's like, he's going to cut you in half. <laughs> so I had to find, you know, I had to find, and it's not like the amp is important, but like you needed to be able to keep up. Yeah, so, yeah. so I think really the tone became, a, a, I mean, certainly to keep up, 
in terms of as a musician, first and foremost, and being respectful on his stage, all the things that go into uh, performing with someone. But uh, I think from a tonal perspective, that was where I really, really got, got hooked on it. And, you know, certainly reading about all my heroes who were so deeply, you know, again, Hendrix, Stevie, um, so mesmerized by tone and, and always developing and tinkering and making it better. Eric Johnson, another one. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Hey, um, Jeff Healy, let's, let's talk about Jeff. I, I first saw him in the early 90s, you know, after that, all the, the Roadhouse Blues exploded on, uh, yeah. in that film. And um, I actually got to see him in Sydney in the early 90s when he toured. And like everyone else, I was just, my, my tiny mind exploded. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah how, did you, how did you meet Jeff, a fellow Canadian? How did you guys first hook up and, and tell me about working with him? Yeah, I'm so glad you got to see him because that's one I think most people remember that. You know, like, oh, I remember. <laughs> you know, he was, he, when you saw him, you're like, oh, yeah, that stays with you. Um, you know, I was getting started um, on the scene in Toronto and um, I was going out and playing. I'd signed a, a record deal. This was kind of like mid, late 90s and I was getting going and, um, you know, I was in Toronto still. So I was like, you know, trying to figure it out. I'd had a few gigs under my belt. I just recorded a few things. All this stuff was starting to come together. I was 19 and um, a friend, I met this really amazing guy. His name's Corey Myluck, who is one of my favorite people in the world, lifelong friend, but also like guitar nerd extraordinaire. I mean, you know, anybody who's like, oh yeah, this little thing here, Corey will be like, oh yeah, you mean this? And they're like, oh, like he just knows so much. He has so much knowledge. Um, he is one of just, I think he's like an ambassador of guitar. I don't know why I feel this way about him, but everybody in Toronto in that scene knows him. Just a great guy. Um, so he had come out to a couple of shows. And I think one night after the show, he introduced himself and, and we just talking for a few minutes and started talking about wah-wah pedals. And, and so anyway, we'd met a few times, got to know each other more. And he said, you know, I, I know Jeff quite well. Uh, Jeff Healy quite well. And I was like, wow, Jeff's one of my favorites ever. Oh, I love, you know, and he's like, oh, okay, well, cool. Didn't say much about it. Then I was playing and um, one night, and I'll never forget the audience that was there got really loud in between songs. And I was like, okay, seems like they're enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. Let's rock, you know, and I'm like, you know, we're having fun. And then we took a break after the set and um, everybody was like, dude, Jeff Healy was here. And I was like, oh, so that's why everybody, so all my friends were making extra noise, you know, like to, to really like cheer, you know, it was really sweet. And, um, but I didn't talk to him that night. Um, so he had come out, it's kind of like checking things out. And Corey had mentioned to him like, hey man, you gotta check out my, my friend, Philip. You know, he really loves you. And you know, you've influenced him a lot. You need to go check him. So Jeff and I ran into each other uh, in an area of, of Toronto called Kensington Market. A little later, you know, just, out of the blue and he was like hey man let's let's jam so we sat in with a band that was playing and jeff grabbed the bass and he goes philip i want you to play guitar and there was a drummer so we just sat in and played um a couple of like robert johnson songs and like a, like but cream style you know uh -huh. crossroads and yeah, nice. um and, and you know played on um maybe some spoonful maybe a sunshine of your love like willie dixon and some cream you know just just really jammed and had fun and we walked out of the club after and he just said I want you to join my band. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, it was kind of, oh, like, you know, I couldn't talk. I was, you know, I was, we were in my manager's car at the time and I was freaked out. And so um, shortly thereafter, we were on the road and I was playing next to like, you know, one of this guy who was one of my favorites and also I think one of the greatest to ever play. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I often call it the University of Jeff Healy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I spent four years, four years with him from about, you, you know, great. from about 1920 to 24. Those, those were the years. Yeah. And what did you learn at the Jeff Healy University? Yeah, I learned that I need to practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I learned. It's, I, I, it's a, a, an eternal lesson that I need to practice. Um, alongside that lesson, I mean, it, there's so much that, um, because he didn't sit down and say like, okay, now Philip, here's how we're going to do this. Yeah. He never, it wasn't like that. It was just like, I want you to be you. Um, we're going to teach you. We're going to groom you. We're going to show you how to, how teach you how to play on big stages around the world. 
because Jeff, you know, was a, a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. So wherever we went, people were speechless, like they'd freak out. And he was right. Like, you know, the, one of the first gig when we got to Europe was like 15,000 people. It's like, oh, and he, I remember him, he pulled out a song that they hadn't told me to learn. <laughs> so it's the first gig, none of our gear showed up. It got stuck in customs somewhere. And uh -huh. so we're using all this like broken gear and Jeff's killing it, of course. I'm so nervous. And then he's like, all right, now we're going to play this song Philip doesn't know. And they go into it. I'm just standing there like trying to figure out what do I do? You know, and you can't look at his hand for the chords because no, he's playing over top. That's like, right. So it was so he was like, I'm going to see what's going to go on with this kid. What's he going to do? And I made it through. It was cool. But, um, you know, things like that. I think I also learned a lot about um, if you're if you are. I mean, I'm not really a side guy, but that was a, an, ex, an exceptional opportunity. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say no. Um, is that when you're on someone's stage, you're in their home. They are putting the butts in the seats. They are bringing the audience. So if you're a high, if you're hired help, you're the hired, you know, whatever you are in someone else's house, have respect, keep your eye on the front person at all times and stay out of the way. Otherwise, right. It's not about you. This is about who you're here working for. And so, you know, I think just being a professional musician, do not be late for, um, you know, for lobby call. You don't want to see the bus driving down the road and you're not on it. Right. Like all these things. And so it was an opportunity as somebody who literally coming out of high school, touring with a group of adults who, you know, at that level, um, I had to learn real quick. And he stretched me like, like chewing gum. I mean, it was like, you know, but in a really, in a really phenomenal way that he wasn't trying to ever like hurt me. He wasn't ever trying to like do something that would hold me down. He was like doing stuff to allow me to find who I was becoming. Mm. And I love him forever for that. That is awesome. What, what a great yeah, experience. He is really cool. Like, you know, I mean, like everyone, we're all humans. We all have our ups and downs. But I mean, in terms of like what he provided me with and that kind of opportunity and I could get as wild as I wanted. And he would say, get crazier, man. You know, like he always encouraged. And and um, and uh, and I remember it came to a point like about four years in, he said, you know, Philip, might be time for you to jump out of the nest and do your thing. You know, how do you feel? He was a man of his word. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Fly on, Jeff. Yeah. I think about him all the time. Yeah? Yeah. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Um, how about the Melissa Etheridge gig? Because that's probably your other – I know you did some time with Uncle Cracker as well, but I guess Melissa yeah. Etheridge, the other kind of superstar name you, you got to spend some time with uh, as a sideman. Tell me about that gig. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. You know, that was – that was also equally really special. And when I think of mentors, you know, Jeff being, you know, my mentor, Melissa also being my mentor. And while they are different, obviously stylistically, there is a roots music that connects them. Sure. Um, they both come from that earthiness. And, you know, when we think about Jeff's magnificence in his area, Melissa carries her magnificence in her areas. Um, you know, I have not heard a, a, a more powerful rock and roll singer. I have not. Um, again, standing on stage beside her for four years um, was, you know, playing at some of the, you know, playing the Academy Awards, the Oscars. She won. It's crazy. Playing on the, the uh, you know, this Al Gore's concert, playing on the, the Grammys, playing on like we played when Obama was, you know, was coming in. Like it was all kinds of, there was amazing opportunities and her audience so welcoming and, and again Melissa you know she's got these great big songs like you know it's a household name we would go out and play people would just lose it as soon as she would start performing experiences and and I could feel it like she was carrying she carries a power that is very unique and special and she has tapped in something something special and Again, a voice for those that haven't been able to find their voice yet. Um, she's a, a role model in so many ways for so many people in different walks of life. Um, and uh, I think, you know, one of the things I truly learned from her was about, about 
understanding how to value myself, understanding that like I am, I am worthy, you know, and, and, um, she just, just like Jeff gave me a lot of room to play on stage on her records. Um, she wrote specific songs so that I could play over them. Like she was incredibly generous. Um, and sometimes she would just say, just go play for a while. And she would just jam with the band or whatever and be like, go take 10 minutes if you want. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Okay. And she's like, let me know when you're done. It's like, this is her stage, her audience, her yeah, yeah. like, so, so these were the folks that really kind of opened my eyes to what, like this kind of depth in the music and also not getting too caught up in what somebody else wants you to be. You know, Melissa got passed on by every record company, all of them. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't sign her. Wow. Jeff Healy got passed on by everybody in Canada. They wouldn't sign him in Canada. <laughs> right? So it's like, it's unbelievable. And the thing that they always told me was, you know who you are, Philip. Be that. What you're doing is awesome. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Keep going. Fantastic. And so, you know, you got to think about it. Um, you know, they were all about that sort of, there's room for, there's room for us to all do this. And I don't see as much of that, unfortunately, in, in the kind of modern guitar world, unfortunately. I just don't. Okay. Um, there's, there feels at times like there can be more walls, uh, more cliques, um, and not with everyone by any means, but in certain areas. And I felt, I feel disappointed by that, to be honest. Um, and I also feel extremely grateful to have had the upbringing that I've had because it set me on course and it's allowed me to, to really work hard at who I am and who I'm becoming. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think I can, we can hear you bring that, that stuff, all those lessons into your, into your tunes and into your, your performances. Um, Phil, I feel like I could talk to you all, all day about this stuff, but we, we, we're just about to wind up. But I need to know um, what's happening in your world now. The album, the album's about a year old, and obviously 2020 just put everyone's plans on hold. So we're speaking in, it's, it's June 2021, I think. Yep. And um, Yeah. Well, what's, what's... <laughs> I think so. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's um, what, what yeah, are things are like for you for in terms of getting back on stages and and uh, what 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 are your next steps? You know, I think like all of us, right? I think we were in a little bit of the twilight zone still, bizarro world, and um, it's 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 interesting actually. California is opening wide up, wide open tomorrow. Oh, everything, cool. you know. So, um, which I think you know, hopefully, will be okay. Um, I don't we'll see what happens with these Delta variants, et cetera. I know Australia is having some issues again, which I've read about and they're anticipating it'll be an issue here again later this year. Or so we're in the coming months. Um, so it makes it really hard to, to kind of put together any long-term plans, but sure. um, what we have been doing is actually, we've started working with some new folks in Europe and um, looking forward to um, hopefully some really exciting um some things in Europe next year. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, turning, turning our focus there, I do have some things booked in Florida uh, in January, but I, or January, February, but I think really it's about taking things one day at a time, still not, not trying not to be a lemming and rush out like, you know, like toilet paper, everybody needed to have their toilet paper. <laughs> we got to go right now. It's a kind of the same thing with like, yeah. we got to get back to the way it was. Ah! You know, I kind of feel like, ah, all right. You know, like I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to be out playing. It's, it's something. It's a, a void right now. I'm really missing it. Yeah. But uh, I welcome the opportunity to get out and be playing more real soon. So yeah, and I have a new record that has been written for a little while now. Um, and I think just, just kind of thinking about who I want to partner with on the record and how I want to release it. I think having a, a release outside of um, Canada only is important to me. Um, you know, and and that's certainly I think on this on this, in this conversation, I also want to take a moment to shout out to Steve Waxman, because yes, I know that yeah. he connected us and Steve's a great guy. And, um, we really, I, I want to say, I really enjoyed working with Steve. Um, when, you know, when we were partnered in that way, it was okay. really, really a good time to, to, we had fun together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Huge yeah. shout out to Steve out of the blue, just got in touch with me and, and mentioned you and 
Um, yeah, also introduced me to Sean Vero, who I just love. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, so he's so great. Cool. Yeah, I've, I've I've loved Sean for a long time, and we've kind of known each other a little bit off and on over like for a okay. long time. But he's he's really really talented guy. I really like his music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so um, amidst all the the trickiness of the business that you alluded to earlier, it's cool that you've got you've made some you know some lifelong friends and and some good connections as well, and people who are doing the right thing. You know, I'm I'm extremely thankful for those for those relationships, and I think it's about you know focusing on on what I've learned from people that I really admire, and keeping my eye on the prize. You know, think how you know what would what would somebody who I really admire how would they handle this situation? You know, and a lot of times the answer the answer is within. I think that's what that's what you know some of my favorite people would would hopefully tell me. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Well, Philip, thank you so much. May I would love to speak to you again sometime, maybe when, when the next record rolls out, uh, however you do you that. Got, you got it. I'm in. I, anytime. I really enjoyed this, Matt. Very, oh, very cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, there you go. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Now, this podcast was brought to you by The Pedal Movie, the feature-length film all about effects pedals created by Reverb. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit thepedalmovie.com. The show was also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by ex-head of guitar at GIT, Joe Elliott. Check out fretboardbiology.com for more information. Alrighty then, you have been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling, and as the legendary German rocker Michael Schenker once told me, Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.